Today from the Global Lane, Pat Robertson's global impact and his lasting legacy. He um, founded and was a part of so many big things. He believed God for big things. And his passion for American law and justice. I, I learned from him the, the art of the possible. Canadian wildfires and the historical record. Beware of climate change disinformation. In, in 1780 and 1920, uh, climate change didn't have anything to do with that. It doesn't have anything to do with this. Juneteenth, why Americans of all colors should celebrate the country's newest holiday. Freedom, survival, stick to unity amidst great horror. And uh, I think that that's what, that that's what our country is all about. And some of my personal reflections and memories of my boss, mentor, and friend, Pat Robertson. And it's all right here on the Global Lane. Renaissance man, world changer. Here at the Global Lane, we'd like to share some reflections of Pat Robertson. Insights you may have not heard in the immediate aftermath of his passing last week. Pat helped people in need worldwide and brought millions to Christ during his 62 years at the helm of the CBN ministry. Shortly after his passing, I talked to two men whose lives and careers were transformed because of Pat Robertson. First, here's Sam Brownback. He has served as Kansas Senator, Governor, and Religious Freedom Ambassador. Ambassador Brownback, please share your thoughts about the impact of Pat Robertson and his advancing the cause of religious freedom worldwide. Uh, unmatched, unparalleled. Uh, he really opened up a number of places, and he was, again, a pioneer there with all of the broadcasting uh, that he and various iterations and groups has been associated with, with taking the good news around the world. I remember uh, being there at, in uh, Virginia Beach and meeting with Pat and uh, leaving the meeting with him and driving by one of the studios, and here's all these big satellite dishes. They're pointed at different ways and beaming beaming the word of God around the world. That was Pat Robertson. And what did Pat mean to you? Uh, well, he was a pioneer. Uh, he was somebody that believed God for big things. Uh, I was elected to the U.S. Senate in 1996 out of Kansas, but I probably wouldn't have been elected if Pat Robertson hadn't run for president in 1988 and gotten people of faith active in the political process, engaged, and by 1996, they were organized and were able to uh, elect me into the seat that Bob Dole uh, had been in. He um, founded and was a part of so many big things. He believed God for big things. And you can see that in all the legacy of things that, um, that he's associated with. And God rest his soul. Pat Robertson ran for president in 1988. What is the lesson for us when it comes to Christian participation in politics and government? I, I think he really teaches the church today to believe God, to believe God for big things, and to engage, always in love, always caringly, but to engage. Eric Metaxas has got a recent book out on Letter to the American Church, and it's critical of the American church not being engaged. I think we can really um, look to a, a person like Pat Robertson and see there is a way to engage, and you engage with your faith, you engage lovingly, but you've got to engage, and you've got to engage the culture, and you've got to engage the country, um, and we should do that, and, and he's got a legacy of doing that. Ambassador Sam Brownback, thank you, and God bless. Uh, my, my honor to be a part of it.
1990, Pat Robertson founded the American Center for Law and Justice. It's a Christian legal organization that defends U.S. constitutional rights and religious freedom worldwide. Jay Seculo is the chief counsel of the ACLJ. Jay, what did Pat Robertson mean for you and the ACLJ? Well, he's our founder, uh, and he's a mentor, and he was a friend, and he was a great encourager. He had tremendous insights of the legal situation. Of course, he was trained as a lawyer, and I'll never forget our first meeting in Chesapeake, Virginia at the Holiday Inn. Oh, back in 1990, I think. It may have been even 89. And he laid out the vision for the American Center for Law and Justice. And the idea was his, uh, obviously inspired by the Lord, to put together resources that would enable a legal organization like ours to flourish here in the United States and around the world. And he was always a source of great encouragement and wisdom. And even up to eight weeks ago, uh, I was with him and we were talking about various issues and talking about uh, decisions that we were going to make for the ACLJ, he was, and he was fully engaged, and as always, fully supportive of the vision where the lawyers wanted to see the organization go. So I, I can't say enough. This is a guy that is was our mentor, our friend, and our colleague. And Pat was an educated lawyer and always a Supreme Court watcher. What did he say to you when the court, in effect, struck down Roe versus Wade last summer? Did you discuss it? We did, and uh, I reminded him, and he was thrilled to remember that the first case that Justice Alito cited in the opinion was a case that he was at the argument for that I made at the Supreme Court of the United States in 1992 and 93. It was argued twice, and Pat was at the case. And, you know, it was, I think, the, the recognition of that achievement of the overturning of Roe and that it's a case based on a case that the ACLJ litigated at the Supreme Court I think was a tremendous source of um, pride for him in, and pride in the right way that the vision that he had for this organization uh, from the beginning has uh, continued. And he, I just can't say enough about you, you mentioned his courtroom knowledge and his knowledge of the courts. He was fully, fully aware of what the justices uh, thoughts were on cases and legal philosophy. He'd read the opinions. So it was, I, again, I, I can't begin to thank him enough. I'll never be able to repay him for everything he's done for the ACLJ and for all of us. And he'll be sadly missed, but we rejoice that he's in heaven. And Pat was committed to religious freedom worldwide. You partnered with him on that. Tell us about it. I remember exactly where I was standing in 1997 in Strasbourg, France, where we, I went to look at office space for an organization we wanted to form that Pat and I had talked about forming called the European Center for Law and Justice to do exactly that, fight for religious freedom, around the globe. He viewed religious freedom as a God-given inalienable right, not based just on a constitution or a declaration of universal rights, but as a God-given right. And that is what the motivating factor was that ended up forming the European Center for Law and Justice, which of course handles cases literally throughout Europe. And Jay, how about you personally? How did he change you? I, I said this earlier, and this is the thing that just struck me with Pat always. He was always a source of great encouragement. Even when the slings and arrows were coming, and they did come. And this guy, I remember him saying, hey, you can't worry about that. He used to call it newspaper wrap. Uh, newspaper is going to be, you know, it's print for a day, and then it, uh, and then it's gone. And, the, of course, the world changed with the Internet. But his view never changed. And that is, he, quote, he used to use a quote from Winston Churchill and a couple of others saying, you know, you stood up for something. And this was a Winston Churchill quote. Uh, and you got attacked for it. Good. It means you stood up for something. And... He just was a tremendous source of encouragement. 
And along the way, we had a couple of bumps. I mean, we had some cases that didn't go the way you want to go. I mean, those things happen. And he was just uh, a tremendous. So for me personally, I, I learned from him the the art of the possible. And I think that's what will stick with me through all of this. And don't limit what God is is seeking to do and don't put it in a box. And uh, I remember that statement uh, in the dressing room at CBN. Gary, you've seen it too, of course. And it's, you know, think of something so big that it can only happen with God. And that is, that's his life. That's his legacy. And I think that's what he imparted to all of us. Okay, Jay Seculo, thank you for sharing your reflections of Pat Robertson. Thanks, Gary. And later in the program, I'll share some personal memories of my 39 years with Pat Robertson, my boss, mentor, and friend. The day after Father's Day is Juneteenth, the newest federal holiday here in the United States. Well, joining us from our Washington, D.C. studio to explain the holiday's significance is Pastor David Anderson. Dr. Anderson is senior pastor of Bridgeway Community Church and founder and president of Gracism Global, an organization that helps build bridges to racial healing. David, Juneteenth is about the emancipation of slaves in Texas two years after Abraham Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation. So why should all Americans, not only African-Americans, celebrate this day? Well, Gary, first of all, it's so good to be with you again. And Juneteenth, I'm glad it's a national holiday. It's taken a long time for that to happen. And of course, on the heels of uh, George Floyd being murdered, I think the consciousness of America was finally pricked to say, black history really matters. And this is a significant part of black history because it is the, the last time enslaved Africans could legally be enslaved. So you can only imagine how exciting it would be for anybody who has been uh, in prison or enslaved or had a disease or whatever it may be in their very last day, they walk away free. So is Juneteenth a day to remember or lament? Well, probably a little bit of both, because whenever you look at history, uh, you have to look at not only the sad parts of it, but also the joy that comes from it. And with our culture, uh, there's a lot of sadness because, you know, Africans were kidnapped and enslaved uh, for hundreds of years. And then they had to fight for, you know, civil rights and, and all of this for people who look like me, great grandparents and, and ancestors. So, yeah, there's a sadness to it. But there's also something powerful about the ability to survive and the black family being able to even survive in any measure is an absolute miracle today based on the decimation of the black family that took place from the transatlantic slave trade, and then the heinous slavery, chattel slavery, on, on the soil of our own country, where Africans built the country uh, for no uh, fee, for no wage, and oftentimes under very horrendous conditions. So is there something to lament? No doubt about it. But is there something to celebrate? Yes, freedom, survival, stick to unity amidst great horror and uh, I think that that's what that, that's what our country is all about reminding people that freedom may not be free but it really does matter when you experience it and David 158 years later race and racism is still an issue here in the United States why is that 
sadly, the institutions that have been set forth from the very beginning of the country on the foundational pillars of racism still stand to this day and practices that many African Americans experience. And so racism is to speak, act, or think negatively about someone else solely based on their color, class, or culture. And so that's a bad thing. And with it's, when institutions surround that kind of idea, it can be really, really bad for people. And it had been for so many years. But legally, we've got it right. Now, morally and economically, we have to get it right. And that's what I'm hoping takes place through God's word, through the unity that comes through the brotherhood and the sisterhood of the family of believers, uh, and then also through restitution in a way that we can help lift up the black family. Okay, some good thoughts. Dr. David Anderson of Gracism Global, always a pleasure to talk with you. God bless you. Bless you back. Thank you. Red alert. Heavy smoke from Canadian wildfires may be lessening. However, it is still affecting the air quality and health of millions of Americans, mostly along the East Coast, parts of Pennsylvania, and even the upper Midwest. President Biden said the fires are a stark reminder of the impacts of climate change. Here's White House Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre. It is yet another ex alarming example of the ways in which the climate crisis is disturbing our lives and our communities. That's why from day one, President Biden rightfully recognized the climate crisis, climate change, as one of, uh, one of the four crises facing our nation as he was coming into the Oval Office. Joining us to share his thoughts on the Canadian wildfires and the impact on climate change is the executive director of the CO2 uh, Coalition, uh, Gregory Wrightstone. Gregory, it's good to talk with you again. Here we go again. Canada's wildfires, heavy smoke drifting across the border into the U.S. caused by climate change. Explain to us why you think that's untrue. Well, there's, there's a lot of bad influence or information being floated around out there. One of the claims they're making is this is unprecedented. This has never happened before. Well, I've got um, reports from 1780, uh, 250 years ago, that... Uh, it was called the day without sunshine. It was called the darkest day uh, back in 1780. And it was because of the same thing. Uh, again, in the 1920s, New York City, I have a New York Times article uh, showing very similar effect here. So is it unusual? Yes, but it's not unprecedented. These things occur uh, occasionally from time to time. And in, in 1780 and 1920, uh, Climate change didn't have anything to do with that, and it doesn't have anything to do with this. The other one of the other things they're saying is that uh, climate change is causing these fires uh, to occur earlier than they've ever occurred. Well, again, that the facts don't bear that out. Uh, Alberta, the, the fire started in Alberta, Western Canada, in the northern latitudes. Uh, May is the peak fire season for fires in Alberta. It's so it, the fires occur every year in Canada, uh, some two and a half million hectares, which uh, one hectare equals about two and a half acres. So uh, you do the math. I'm not I'm a geologist, not a mathematician. But so every year we have uh, wildfires that range five million down to very few. Last year, uh, fires in Canada 
uh, was a, uh, almost a historically low number. Uh, 2020 was the historic low number. Um, and that's probably leading uh, to one of the problems they have in Canada right now is last since last year uh, was very low in fire numbers. All that brush and grass that's now accumulated for two years is built up. Um, the other thing to consider, according to the Can Canadian Forestry Service, um, they're experts. And if you go to their website, what's really interesting, they talk about the benefits of fire, how beneficial it is for the Canadian forest. And it's very well, it's very much needed uh, to have a healthy forest. In fact, on their website, the second paragraph down, uh, their chief forester said that fires are just as important to a healthy forest as are, get this, I hope you're sitting down, fire, fires are just as important as water and sunlight. Karine Jean-Pierre also said President Biden's tackling climate change by making one of his uh, top priorities, and he's implemented historic policies. Well, let's see. Uh, some of the changes are shutting down the Keystone Pipeline, opposing fracking, pushing to phase out coal. He wants Americans to invest in wind farms, electric cars, even for the U.S. military. Your thoughts on those changes? Well, obviously, there's nothing they're going to do that's going to impact uh, global temperatures, atmospheric temperatures. If we if we had decreased, and we use what's called the magic simulator that was devised by uh, NOAA, National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration, it shows that had we gone to net zero in 2010, uh, we'll have, we will have averted one tenth of one degree Fahrenheit by the year 2100, uh, spending tens and maybe over $100 trillion to get there. And it doesn't make much sense. The other thing, Gary, no one talks about, They, you've probably heard we can't cross the one and a half degree threshold. Well, it's not one and a half degrees. It's one and a half degrees from uh, the 1800s before the Industrial Revolution. We've already warmed one degree centigrade. So what they're talking about is the danger of increasing temperature by half a degree centigrade. That's nine-tenths of a degree Fahrenheit. Gary, where you sit in your office, if it changed nine-tenths of a degree, you couldn't tell. The, the big story, I know you've had me on many times, uh, that we preach at the CO2 Coalition are the benefits of modest warming and more CO2. And by almost every metric, the Earth and humanity are thriving and prospering because of the of the of the combination of warming and, and more CO2. And we should celebrate that. Okay, Gregory Wrightstone, Executive Director of the CO2 Coalition. Thank you, Greg, for sharing your time and insights. We appreciate it. Thank you. Pat Robertson was an amazing godly man, a world changer who possessed a joy deep in his soul because of his relationship with Jesus Christ. And he shared his zeal about the saving grace of Jesus with millions of people worldwide. I knew Pat for 39 years, longer than my earthly father. He was truly my spiritual and professional mentor and friend. After working in local radio and television, I joined CBN in 1984 and filed my first story as CBN News Middle East correspondent. Unfamiliar with me and my reporting, Pat didn't like that first report. But when a suicide car bomber blew up the U.S. Embassy in East Beirut, I was there within minutes of the attack. Pat's opinion of me changed. It wasn't Texas and Hurricane Carla, but Pat told the news director at the time I was a young Dan Rather in Christian television. 
He believed and trusted in me ever since that late September day. In 1988, he asked me to join his presidential campaign and serve as his senior press secretary. We received nonstop negative press. One day on the campaign trail, he asked me rhetorically, why are they doing this to me? I responded, because they don't like you. You stand for everything they're against. And then I asked why he pressed on despite all the pounding that he received. Pat explained, because God told me to do it. I've got to be obedient to the Lord, and I can't expect other Christians to get involved in the political process if I'm not willing to do it myself. And folks, Pat's perseverance transformed the American political landscape. Evangelical Christians are a political force to reckon with. Mitt Romney lost the election because many of them stayed home. And it wasn't the Russians who put Donald Trump in the White House. Without the evangelical vote, Trump would not have won in 2016. Trump appointed three conservative Supreme Court justices who voted to overturn Roe v. Wade. The groundwork was laid by Pat Robertson in 1988. I had many special moments with Pat. On numerous occasions, I traveled with him to other countries to produce his news interviews. Places like South Africa, Nicaragua, Israel, Poland, and Hungary. But one of the most memorable came after the fall of the Berlin Wall. I was there when it happened in November 1989. Pat was excited. It was an answer to prayer. A few months later, I was back in Berlin with Pat and Billy Graham. Pat was excited to be with his friend Billy. And after the interview, I suggested the two of them walk along what remained of the wall to do a walk and talk. It was truly a historic moment. As Pat told Billy, the door was now wide open to share the gospel beyond the crumbling iron curtain. People can come in freedom. It's a, it's a heady day for Germany. It is. I would say to everybody, Let's get behind Pat in Eastern Europe. Folks, I could share many memories, but we don't have time today. So please continue to pray for CBN. A new chapter is beginning for this ministry, one without our trusted leader and friend. Pat's final message for us, trust God. God is always faithful. And Pat, you were always faithful to him. Thank you for your example, love, what you've done for me and the world. We'll miss you. But we're rejoicing that you're now with the Lord and your beloved Didi. Well done, my boss, mentor, and friend. Good and faithful servant of God. Be blessed.